Hello and welcome back to the 9320 series, No History, with me, your host, Joe. Here to get you over that final international break hurdle before the real stuff starts up again. Uh, joining me today for a tale that actually starts with a Thai food party in the city of Manchester and ends up with Manchester City Football Club transformed to one of the wealthiest clubs through their owner the game had ever seen at that point. Uh, joining me for this uh, rather interesting journey is No History regular Howard. How are you, sir? Hello, I'm okay, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. And um, also, for his No History debut, we have someone who may be able to offer some interesting insight to this period for us, and uh, that is Stefan. Stefan, how are you? Are you good? Yeah, good. How are you doing? Good, thank you very much. I'm good, indeed. Um so you could argue it's quite a topical subject, this one, given that's uh, in relation to ownership and all the rest of it at the moment that's going on throughout the Premier League landscape and all the politicking. Uh, we'll go back to more um, primitive times when Premier League clubs were owned by fugitives and former Thai Prime Ministers with the story of uh, Taksin Shinawatra, uh, a very interesting character who, as I just alluded to, was... Um, a former Thai Prime Minister from 2001 to, I believe, 2006, when he was ousted by a military coup in Thailand. Um, was a billionaire who, I believe, had made his fortune in, in the telecommunications industry, uh, but also had a background in the Thai police. And where this all links into Manchester City Football Club is, uh, Taksin Shinawatra in the late spring, early summer of 2007, became the club's first major overseas owner, um, having bought the club from a number of shareholders. Um, after the club had been on, on the market for, for a fair while following the... Uh, disastrous financial management and years under Stuart Pearce following promotion from the championship in 2002. So just to set the scene rolling on <clears throat> that period, I'll just uh, begin with a few uh, short facts from probably the four or five years preceding uh, the summer of 2007. Um, obviously in the, in the second to last season at Main Road in 2002, the club were promoted under uh, Kevin Keegan. Uh, having brought him in amongst much optimism and fantastic football. David Bernstein having steadied the ship from, from taking over as chairman in 98. Had um, really, I, I would suggest, uh, topped off his reign at this point. Secured the club back in the Premier League. Keegan clearly with the mandate to uh, establish City as a Premier League club for the move to the City of Manchester Stadium in 2003. Notwithstanding, uh, from Keegan joining the club in 2001... Um, there was by city standards at that time a lot of spending um, some of it successful some of it not so much uh, the ones that stand out the likes of John Mackin for £5 million a Matthias Fuso anyone remember him? I don't even think he ever actually played for the first team uh, for £3.5 million uh, Sylvan Distan for similar uh, Robbie Fowler, which we'll come back to, uh, David Somay, and of course, probably the most successful of the lot in terms of <clears throat> the club's health, Nicholas Anelka, uh, for £13 million from Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, the reason I alluded to Robbie Fowler was that there was actually some fallout um, 
Bernstein was was keen to, from my understanding, um, kind of rein the 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 spending in somewhat, uh, for, ready for the move to the stadium. Um, though obviously there was a massive financial meltdown at Leeds United, where where Fowler was at the time. City, um, having signed the likes of Anelka for big money, etc., and we're, and we're going relatively well at that time, going into January two thousand and three. Um, decided on, on Keegan's um, direction to, to move for Robbie Fowler, which caused a split in the board uh, to whereby Fowler did arrive, but against the wishes of David Bernstein, who then resigned uh, prior to the end of that season, which was obviously a very important crossroads. Uh, we then moved to the city of Manchester Stadium, <clears throat> with John Wardle, who I believe was, correct me if I'm wrong, gentleman, one of the founding fathers of uh, JD Sports, um, at the helm. Uh, obviously, the money has dried up by this point. Uh, we start to realistically see that the starlights of the team, such as Nicholas Anelka uh, and eventually Sean Wright Phillips, leave. Clearly, financial issues. Keegan, not long either before or after that also goes and of course we end up in the situation whereby uh, Stuart Pearce takes over as manager the less said about this period the better uh, and, and we're signing essentially over the hill Scouse Hasbeens and the likes of Andrew Cole to survive um, this is where I bring you guys in the, the club around this time I think it was fairly soon into the Pearce uh, era was was up for sale uh, and some of the names that were linked in in those kind of early periods after that decision were from my memory and there may be more uh, Ray Ranson the former city was it a left back or right back in the in the um, 80s uh, I think he did eventually take over Coventry City with not much success um, but it's clear that the club was in very poor financial health um, how would I bring you in first? What what what's your recollection of this period? Obviously, we'd started with much optimism back in the Premier League and had a pretty decent, you know, go at it uh, initially. But we then seemed to really make some strange decisions in the transfer market, which led to the the fallout I've discussed. Yeah, there's a lot to take in there. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, leaving Main Road as well and moving to a new stadium was huge at the time. Coming off the end of the nineties, it was literally non-stop chaos in a way. There was always something to talk about. We should almost be thankful the Stuart Pearce here has given us a break from actual eventful uh, football, and perhaps uh, I think as fans, most of the time, a fan for me, obviously Stefan would have known a lot more. For fans at the time, it start that period starts off so so exciting. There's mixed feelings about obviously leaving Main Road but that promotion season under Kevin Keegan remains one of the most enjoyable seasons I've had as a football fan even when you consider the riches the spoils we've had in the last decade or so Keegan was a breath of fresh air I think and coming off the you know the depths we'd gone to before then it was made it even more encouraging but you knew with you could see it coming a long way off in a way that Kevin Keegan had certain requirements, he, he wanted funding. Let's be honest, he was one to, to walk away when he didn't get what he wanted. Bernstein was a prudent man and, a, and the right man at the right time and him to leave 
was clear indication things were not going well behind the scenes. But as a fan, I didn't really know just how bad things would be. We you know, were at the time financially, but I guess you could guess by reading between the lines by the sort of players that would end up coming in compared to the sort of players we probably wanted. And you mentioned you know, a couple of crackers there in Distan and Elka, but soon you know players like that. You weren't getting players like that anymore. And we were scrabbling around, really, for players. And I think Fowler was the... I mean, you didn't need hindsight to know Fowler was not a sensible signing, really. Uh, he was already having real injury problems, wasn't fit. We weren't getting the player he once was. But Keegan wanted him, of course, and it went on and on and on, protracted and turned out to be a disaster. I will always, I, I wouldn't say I'd stick up for Stuart Pearce uh, for two years that I think, you know, none of us wish to remember because not a lot happened. But I still, I still retain some thanks to him because he did the important thing of not getting us relegated. And I think that's the best we could have hoped for in this period. Now we do have the hindsight of everything that follows from 2007 onwards. So it was. A pretty amazing period and and I think really if anything had been different in that period then who knows how what follows and what we're going to discuss may never have happened so you can thank Bernstein and, and Howard Bernstein at the council for getting that for getting that stadium the fact we got promoted to the Premier League was important for that stadium as well the fact we were still in the Premier League was important for everything that followed after the Stuart Pearce years so a fascinating period really even the the Stuart Pearce years and it all set up everything that was to follow yeah well put I mean I think it's worth pointing out before I bring you in Stefan I mean it's well documented that the sale of Sean Wright Phillips I think that was in the summer of 2005, just after Keegan had left and Pierce had come in and nearly guided us to the UEFA Cup. Uh, that sale to Chelsea is widely documented as staving off a real financial meltdown. So I'd like to bring you in. Um, if you wouldn't mind setting the scene for, for your involvement with Manchester City around this time, um, any information you can give us to maybe what we listeners or fans weren't... Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking to for? Privy to. Weren't aware of. Privy to, yeah, thank you. Uh, went privy to in terms of the club's financial health because I think my, my you know perception was it was presented going into the Premier League in 2002 that the club was in great financial health, was on a solid foundation, ready to go to the new stadium. We had an exciting manager, we just romped the championship, uh, but it all quickly... Uh, faded rather quickly mm. well look you know it's like it's like many of the situations that we see today you know, with people overstretching themselves getting carried away uh, believing that if they invest a few pound more they can reach the next level in the game um, it's you know essentially the same story that uh, that we're, we're thinking about in respect of Everton right now um, just at a smaller scale because um, the numbers around this period are just much, much smaller than they are today. So, I mean, I first got involved in City in 2001. I 
was at a bank called Investec. Uh, one of our clients was JD Sports. Uh, so clearly we had the relationship with Wardle and Makin and I was on the team both for JD Sports and then sort of wangled my way into a conversation about City. Uh, originally um, met up at the at Main Road actually uh, with Bernstein and Macintosh. Um, didn't really do much for a while, except sort of kept talking to them um, and then tried to help them. I think the first time we tried to help them was in, a, in about 2003. Um, and I'm just, as we're talking, just looking at some of my old, some of my old presentations to the club where you can see some of the, just the state of some of the finances. I mean, if you look at, if you look at um, 2003, for example, um, you've got, so I'm just, I'm just trying to uh, get, uh, here it is, uh, cash in flows, cash out flows. I mean, it's hard to get the things in front of me, but you're talking about a club that was, you know, in terms of scale, a tenth, maybe even smaller than it is today in, in revenue terms. Wage bill, again, about a tenth. I think wait, employee costs I'm looking at here, about £35 million. And we know now that they're about 400 and and 13 so just the scale of the whole thing completely different in those days and uh, look at the end of the day Keegan overspent I mean there's no other way to describe it the, the, the club was was in an okay position John had put in a lot of money John Wardle had put in a lot of money um, I was talking to them in 2005 about what they were going to do with their uh, shareholder loans so by the time you get to 2005, when we've got Sean Wright Phillips, that's, you know, where we may need to look to sell him. You've got a whole load of shareholder loans in from uh, John Wardle and David Makin. And uh, they've also got 30% of the shares. And then you had uh, the bowlers who were a historic shareholder. And actually people forget, but Sky were also a 10% shareholder at this time. Um, and then Franny Lee with 7%. But the club was not in a good financial position at all. One of the deals that I did um, around 2003, 2004, just to give you a feel for just how desperate we were for cash, was we ended up doing a sale and lease back on the, um, on the club shop, Reebok City. Um, so it was carved out of the lease that we had from the council for the stadium. So we were able to sell it off for 25 years on a sale and lease back basis, bringing in, I think it was 3 million quid from memory. And that was a deal that we really needed to do just because we just didn't have the cash. And, you know, it just gives you a feel for just how tight things were. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I, you're probably not ready to accelerate forward, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. But that's the sort of background that we were dealing with. Keegan overspent, uh, Bernstein knew he was overspending. Uh, Wardle and Makin, I think, were taken in by uh, by the Keegan's um, pitch as to what what we could do, and with understandably, understandably, in fairness. But he was a kind of guy who always needed two more players. He was always two more, you know, just just two more players, and we could do X, Y, and Z. And ultimately, we didn't have the money for two more players. Thanks for listening to the first fifteen minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our contents, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now 
or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.